Okay, let's finish up Psalm 115 tonight. Got an awesome title for you. The Amazing, Glorious, Living Alternative to Dead Idols. Boy, you can't beat that, can you? You think about everything we've seen as we go through this psalm. And we look at Israel and sometimes we criticize them. Why weren't they more faithful? Well, you and I would have probably been much the same way. I, I don't think there were very many people that, were, uh, that stand out as being really faithful. And so uh, when you think about uh, what it was like, most of the people worshipped idols and fell away from the Lord and we probably would be swept up in all of that and so this psalmist who is writing evidently after they had returned from Babylon is uh, reinforcing from them don't go back to what you were before they had been idol worshippers before they had disgraced the Lord they went to 70 years of captivity in Babylon and the psalmist is encouraging them learn your lesson now the reason I say we would have been just like them is because we don't tend to learn our lessons either. We go through things and we say, oh, it'll be different this time. And then it just takes a little while and then we go back to what we were before, doing what we did before. And we have the audacity to criticize kids when they come back from camp and to say, well, it probably won't last either. Well, neither does ours. We make commitments all the time about how we're going to live and what we're going to eat and how much weight we're going to lose and what, how, uh, how much we're going to read our Bible and who we're going to visit and all of those different things. And then we, like a rubber band, just kind of come back to where we were before. And I think that happens because we really don't have the glorious view of God that we ought to have. This is the God who made the heavens and the earth. This is the God who sent his son to die for us. This is the God who indwells us. This is the God who has made a place for us in heaven. And uh, this is the God we're going to live with forever. And so we need to think a little bit more and a little deeper about him, the amazing, glorious, living alternative to dead idols. And why did Israel get so excited and committed to the dead idols and not to a living God? And that will always be the big question, won't it? And uh, there again, we've got to look at ourselves. We do the same thing. Let's look at uh, verses 16 through 18 of Psalm 115. And it says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Verse 18, But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. It'll continue. And then he ends it with an exclamation of praise the Lord or hallelujah. Is the way it looks in, in Hebrew. So this psalm that we have looked at with all of these comparisons the death the destruction the judgment and the well the uselessness of any of these idols and yet here the children of israel these people have been uh, privileged to be the chosen ones privileged to have god reveal himself to them think about what you remember back from exodus he brought them out he spared them from the plagues and uh, then he 
took them through the Red Sea and he fed them and he gave them water. The walls of Jericho in the next generation came tumbling down and the land was theirs and yet they keep going back and keep on going back. And yet out of all of the nations on earth, there has never been another nation like the nation of Israel. So let's think about this glorious and amazing living God that they knew that we also know, the same God that we serve. And let's talk about, number one, His domain. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. Now there's a lot wrapped up in all of that because we don't even know how far the heavens go. We assume that the universe is limitless, if you've ever read a science book, and yet it's really not. It's created by God. It has a definite beginning and a definite ending, and yet the Lord is the one who has created all of that. And the further we go and the more we see, the more there is out there, and yet our God is the one who created all of that. It didn't just happen by random chance or just some weird thing happened and boom, we ended up with the universe. That's ridiculous. The Lord created it. And uh, that's what we read about in Genesis 1. But that's reiterated all through the Scripture. When we think about uh, this and we think about His domain, where He dwells, a uh, few verses of Scripture I want you to think about. Isaiah 44, 24. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth. Notice these last two words, by myself. No one helped him. No one advised him. No one designed it. No one guided him through it. He did it by himself. Stretched out the heavens. Think about how much there is out there in outer space. And the Lord is the one who stretched them out. Another passage from Isaiah. Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. And so we uh, think about what all God has done, and yet we ignore the part that says about us, are we humble? <clears throat> are we contrite before the Lord? Or do we live like he doesn't exist until an emergency comes, and then we run to him? It's a good thing to run to him when an emergency comes, but you should live that way all the time. Humble, and contrite and did you notice that when is the last time that you have ever trembled at the word of God God takes his word a whole lot more serious than his people do and it ought to be that we take his word serious uh, as well trembling at his word that's where the Lord looks that's where we get blessing and favor from the Lord and it all depends on what we think of him and what we think of his word and notice here that uh, we're told here that he owns what he makes you know if I make something if I'm a little kid and I make something and you come up and try to take it from me maybe I make something in uh, Sunday school 
and you try to take it from me, I'm probably going to get upset because that's mine. Why? Because I made it. Well, in the same way, the Lord owns what he makes. Now, he's not like a little kid, and he's not pouting over it or anything. But think about it. everything that he owns. Everything in the universe, the stars, the planets, everything on earth, the sky, the oceans, the lakes, the dry land, the crops, the gold, the silver, everything that's here on earth, he owns it. We try to talk about things that we've made. Which one of us have ever made anything out of nothing? And yet that's what the Lord does, and that's what he tells us about. And we see his power, and we see his majesty, and we forget sometimes that he owns it, and he even owns us. We don't have a right to do whatever we want to do. We don't have a right to be whatever we want to be. He is the one who owns us. And he is, when we think about the heavens, here's one thing different about him and us. He is at home in the heavens. Now, somebody might say, well, we go into outer space. Yeah, but we're not at home there. It's dangerous. When we go into outer space, we have to have all kinds of artificial life support in order to sustain life. Things that we don't need here on earth but we do need them when we go to outer space. Gravity is different. The atmosphere is different wherever we may be. We have to have oxygen. We have to have spacesuits. We have to have all of those type of things. We can't grow our food in outer space. We can't find any food. We have to take it with us. We have to have something that gets us back here because we can't stay there forever. And we can only imagine the long-term effects of weight, weightlessness in space on the body because so much of the body depends upon gravity, doesn't it? Your heart function and all of that, your circulatory system, how your organs function, the way that you think, all of that. There's a, there's a certain degree of gravity that causes all of that to work properly and to work rightly. And yet our God, he's at home there. It doesn't bother him. It doesn't affect him. It doesn't mess him up. And even if we were to put a colony, a space colony on Mars, like they talk about, we still would not be at home there, would we? Think about everything that would have to happen. We can't change the atmosphere of Mars. We can't change and make Mars suddenly have lakes and oceans and those type of things. We can't do any of that stuff to raise crops. And maybe someday there'll be something that we'll try to do, but we will never be like the Lord who is at home in the heavens. We'll always be visitors. We'll always be strangers. We'll always be out of place there. We will always be, to a certain extent, handicapped no matter what we do. And we crow about it and we think we are so smart. And it is amazing. And it is amazing what we have done until you compare it with the Lord who not only is at home there, but he's the one that made all of that. So we uh, may go, but we don't dwell and uh, we don't, we're never at home there like the Lord is. Number two, I want you to notice a distinction that he makes. The Bible says in the very next phrase, but the earth he has given to the children of man. He made a gift and he has given us the earth. 
because we're at home here. We were made for Earth. We're not made for Mars. We're not made for the moon. We're not made for Jupiter, but we're made for here. You can pretty much go anywhere on the Earth and you can figure out a way to survive and you can breathe and you can raise food and you can have relationships with other people and friendships and others and you can raise children. It's down here on Earth. Why? Because this Earth, this ball that we look at, this is a gift that God has given to mankind. He's given to human beings. Now, isn't it amazing that we want to do everything we can to uh, discount that gift? We say, oh, there's no God, and oh, the earth, it just came about just, just cause, just by random chance, and yet the Lord... What, what if somebody did that to you at Christmas? Not very far away from Christmas, is it? And you uh, saved up your money and you gave somebody a very valuable gift. Maybe you gave them an expensive piece of jewelry or a car or something like that. And when you gave it to them, they said, wow, this is wonderful. And then the next thing you hear them saying about it is, I don't really know where this came from. It just came here just because. Just it's no big deal. It's just one of those things that sort of happened. You might be a little offended at that. What do you think the Lord feels what do you think his attitude is toward all of us who say well there was a big bang we don't know where the stuff that came from for the big bang but there was a big bang and then all of this stuff just happened over time when the bible tells us that the lord has given us all of this even our own life is a gift from the lord and think about how blasphemous we are think about how dismissive we are of the Lord we just overlook as though he doesn't exist and we don't really care anyway if he if he does exist he doesn't really matter we are the masters of our soul and of our fate and we rule sovereignly over the heavens and the earth think about how arrogant all of that is and these uh, verses reminded me of uh, going all the way back to Genesis again just like we saw Sunday night and you ladies in Bible study yesterday um, I watched part of that video and she kept going back to Genesis. It all does. Genesis 1.28 Then God blessed them, meaning Adam and Eve, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God has given us this earth and he has said to human beings, I want you to take care of it. Now, we're not the rulers of the earth, but we have been given permission by God to subdue the earth, his earth. He's allowed us to live here and he allows us to use its resources. He allows us to exert authority over all of this and he has also given us a command to fill up the earth. Now, if you'll think about what I just said, all of you are about my age, maybe a little older, some a little younger, but we all know what we were taught in school. In spite of what God says, we act like the earth rules over us. We act like that, uh, well, we're going to have too many babies and there's not going to be enough food. In the 70s, that's what we were told. There wouldn't be enough food to feed 7 billion people and uh, we would run out of all of that somewhere around the 
turn of the century, and yet here we are, and uh, the earth still sustains us. We think about all the things that we have been told over the years, all of the dire predictions Global warming, if we have greenhouse gases or the hole in the ozone that Al Gore talked about, and they gave us back then, what, 10 years? And that's been 20, 30 years ago? We forget and we act as though somehow that we arrogantly have the power to destroy what God has created. And all of this kind of stuff just shows the arrogance of man and how we dismiss God. Our culture denies the existence of God, negating His blessing. We deny God's Word. He told us His Word was subdue and fill the earth and use it. And what do we say? Oh, we can't do that. We can't do that. We've got a better idea. We've got this all figured out. And we think that because we have computers that can do math and make models for us, that we've got this all figured out. And so we disobey God's command. Think about this. Multiply and fill the earth. And there are so many things we are battling now. Have you ever thought about this? What does abortion do? What does it say? Kill offspring. Kill them. Don't fill the earth with them. Kill them. What does homosexuality say? There's got to be a way for you to have sexual pleasure without conceiving a child. What is it that... Um, we find when we see the transgender movement. Well, we can have somebody that can be a woman. Now, they don't have a, they don't have a womb, and they don't have the capability of, of bearing a child, but they decided they want to be a woman. And so what is all of this flying in the face of? What is climate change? What is global warming? What does all of this stuff do? It kind of shakes a fist in the face of that passage we read in Genesis 1. God cannot be trusted if he even exists. There's a different way. There's a better way. We'll make an improvement upon the way that he created us. Isn't that what we're saying all the time? I wasn't made right. I've got to make myself right. We're made in God's image. Not good enough. I've got to make myself the way I want myself to be. And so certain things are removed and certain things are added. And we do that to perfectly healthy people who uh, are displeased with the way God has made them. We have radical environmentalism and we worship Mother Earth. And we just don't trust in God's creative and providential care to meet our needs. Because it's all about us, and we're going to do it our way, to quote Frank Sinatra. Very rebellious song, by the way. And that's the way we want to do. Okay, thank you, Lord. We'll do it our way. We'll take it from here. And uh, thirdly, notice his determination. It says in here that there are certain things he has determined that we cannot change. You know, Jesus told us, don't be worried about tomorrow. You can't even add a, a hair to your head or a cubit to your stature, can you? We don't have that ability. We can't do that. We didn't determine when we were born, and we don't really determine when we're going to die either. That's determined by God, and that's what I mean by that. Now, notice in verse 17, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. Now, Oh, there are some people, I have some relatives, who take that verse right there and they say, See, once you die, you are just dead. There's nothing else. 
And I've got some other relatives that they believe that when you die, your soul stays in the grave with your body until the return of the Lord. It's called soul sleep. Seventh-day Adventists believe that, and they borrowed that doctrine from the Jehovah's Witnesses, and they have to have that because to make it all fit with their theology and their investigative judgment that happens. They can't have anybody in heaven and then have a judgment that is going to kick them out of heaven. So they came up with the idea of soul sleep. And they base it on verses like this. The dead do not praise the Lord. Neither do they that go down into silence. What's the answer to that? Because the psalmist is here speaking about not about eternity but about life here on earth. He's speaking about what we experience here. We've all had loved ones die. We've all heard people, maybe in a movie, maybe on a TV show, or maybe if you stood by enough caskets like I have, you hear people that say to the person, oh, if you could only just speak to me, speak to me, speak to me. It'd be interesting to see what happened if someone ever did. But that's what we want. Oh, if I could just hear their voice one more time. That's understandable, isn't it? Why? Because the moment they take their last breath, they've gone silent as far as we're concerned. We don't hear from them anymore. We don't interact with them anymore. We don't talk to them anymore. We don't converse with them anymore. They're gone. Now they're in another place. But their body is right here. And their body has gone silent. And what the psalmist is describing is what we experience here. And what he is saying to Israel is this. You don't know what tomorrow brings. So make sure you honor God today. And you know, we're so bad about one of these days. One of these days, I'm going to get around to this. One of these days, I'm going to do this. One of these days, I'm going to see this person. One of these days, and you know, tomorrow never ever comes. And so the psalmist is pointing out to the fact that we had better get to it. Because we don't know how much time we have. Why? Because the Lord determines our life. We like to think that we are in control. You know, it kind of uh, tickles me a little bit when somebody gives their testimony and they said, and I just turned everything over to the Lord and gave Him control of my life. Well, who do you think was controlling it before? You think God is saying, oh, thank you, finally. Now maybe I can do something with you. And that's not really the case. Because you were born without your permission, weren't you? And then when you think about what the Lord determines, the Bible says that He has determined the number of our days before there were any. So you're not going to live, and no one is going to live any longer than was determined or any shorter than was determined. But you also think about how little you really control when it comes to your everyday life. I was uh, thinking about this and uh, I thought about for all of us, we don't control our lifespan at all. I have a little brother and he's not the one that I usually talk about. I have a little brother that I've never met. He's in heaven. He lived 12 hours. Boy, there must be something wrong with your gene pool. Well, our great-grandmother lived to be 102. Same genes. We're the same descendants of her. How come he only lived 12 hours? How come I'm still alive after 62 years when I probably shouldn't have lived 12 hours either? What, what's the deal? 
because that's not up to us. That's up to the Lord. And so we think about how much we have control over, but we're reminded that the Word of God tells us, don't boast of tomorrow. You're not promised a tomorrow. In fact, we're told that life is a what? Vapor. A vapor. Here today, gone tomorrow. We think about all of the people that we've known that have gone on to glory. We've had their funeral. We've buried them. And it makes us sad not to have them anymore. And uh, the longer you live, the more of them there are. Vance Havner said one time when he was in his 80s, he goes, I finally understand about laying up treasures in heaven. He said, I have more friends on the other side than I do down here. Well, everybody, if you live long enough, you're going to see that happen. Where It's kind of like a teeter-totter. Everything changes. And you look forward to getting to heaven. You want to see Jesus? You want to be free from the pains and the trials of this life that come with old age? And you also think about how wonderful it's going to be to see all of those people again. But we don't know. Some people are going to live well up into uh, past 100, and some just live a matter of hours like my little brother. We think about these kind of things and realize how fragile we really are. I think if I've learned anything over this past year with the problems that I've been through and even with the surgery that I had is simply this. It doesn't take much to take you out. Am I right? It doesn't take much. And so you're sustained by the Lord for His determined purpose and time frame and so you take advantage of every day. Why? Because the dead don't praise the Lord. You go to a funeral home and go back into one of those viewing rooms and you're not going to hear them sing in the Hallelujah Chorus or anything like that. They may be doing that in heaven, but not here on earth. And that's what he's talking about. When you put their body into the grave and when they are lowered down to the grave. Have you ever noticed how weird funerals are on uh, TV and movies? They're always outside, and we rarely have them outside. And uh, they all have this thing to where the casket is, you know, either being lowered or it's already down in the ground. Then they go out and throw dirt on it and do things like that. I've, I've never been to a funeral where that happened. You may have. And I've never conducted a funeral where that kind of thing happened. And, you know, one of the things, though, that we do have in common with those type of funerals is this. A person in the box never says... Hey, cut it out. Don't do this. Now that, that would be creepy. I have dreams about being buried alive, and I don't like them. And uh, when you have someone who's genuinely sure enough dead, they don't protest when you put them into the ground. They go down in silence. See what he's talking about here? And he's going to show us in just a moment that this is not about an eternal state that we have. It's just what we experience in life. And so he's making the point now that maybe at one time you had somebody like uh, Moses. Moses is pretty good at praising the Lord, but that day came when he went silent. Joshua, you know, he, he, boy, he had some things to praise the Lord about, except, well, he, he's silent. Daniel, we've been studying about him in Sunday school. Wow, I bet he had a testimony and I bet he had those times when he just had a spell and just broke out into praise to the Lord. But not, not now, not on earth. 
not on earth. And we can go through all of the heroes. David, the psalmist of Israel. What happened to him? There came a time when he breathed his last and his tongue went silent. And he's praising the Lord, I'm sure, in heaven right now, but not on earth. That's what he's making reference to. And he's doing that not to be morbid. He's doing that to say this. You've been given a gift. This living God has redeemed you. He has placed you here on earth. He has given you life. What should you do in return? Don't say, well, one of these days I'm going to get right with God. No, get right with Him now. One of these days I'm going to serve the Lord the way that I ought to. No, do it right now because you don't have any promise of tomorrow because none of us know how long we are going to live and what the circumstances of that life are going to be. You also notice that when we think about this, what about our abilities? You know, not everybody is equal. I know our declaration says all men are created equal, but that's not exactly right. Not everybody is as smart as you are. I just complimented you and I didn't even get an amen. Man, not everybody's as smart as you are. Not everybody looks as good as I do. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> not everybody has coordination. Not everybody is born with all of their organs, all of their limbs. Am I right? Even if you do, not everybody's as fast as Jim Thorpe or some more modern people. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody can play in the NFL or the NBA. Not everybody can be a movie star. Not everybody can invent something that's going to make them a millionaire. We don't all have the same abilities. Why is that? Well, there is a certain extent that it could be laziness, apathy. We just don't care. We never try. We never push ourselves. We, yeah, it'd be nice to uh, learn a language, but we never get around to doing it because it doesn't matter that much. It'd be nice to play an instrument, but we never pick, up, pick it up and play it or take lessons or anything. I mean, you know how that can be. We're all kind of like that to some degree. It'd be nice to know the Word of God. You know, we all know those people. Boy, Grandma knew the Word of God. Well, do you read the Word of God as much as she did? Well, no, not quite. Well, then there's your reason. So there is something uh, in this that has to do with us and our motivation and our effort and that type of thing. And we don't come close to living up to our potential. They tell us we only, lose, only use about 10 to 20% of our brain anyway. And I uh, wonder what happens with the other 80%. So we have these things, but the vast majority of things we have no control over. You could go, uh, you know, try out for the Giants or the Cowboys, but I doubt you would make it. And uh, you might go to the opera and say, I'd like to sing for whoever's in charge of this and, you know, uh, let you see what I can do. It'd probably be embarrassing. Uh, all kinds of things like that, because the Lord is the one who does that. You remember... 
when Moses was in front of the burning bush and the Lord said, I want you to go and confront Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses goes, ah, but, 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 but I, 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 I'm not very eloquent when I speak. And you remember the Lord said, hey, you're talking to the guy who made those who can't speak and those who can't hear. I'm the one who made everybody the way that they are. You think I can't overcome that? And uh, that's the thing that we all need to remember. All of us have limitations. And our limitations guide us into certain things. I mean, where would you be if you could do anything? I mean, this is what we tell our kids. You can do anything you want to do. Now, folks, that's a little bit of a lie. If you think about it. Well, I want them to dream and I want them to go on. I do too, but sometimes... I'm afraid we tell them things and we set them up for failure because it's not exactly true. Now, you could probably do more than you think you can. That would be a good statement. You can go as far as your ambition, commitment, willingness to work and all of that. That's probably true. But you know what I thought of when I was writing this down? The smartest person in the world. I wonder who that might be. And I wonder what they're going to achieve. I wonder what they're going to accomplish. Man, I can think of things. They could cure AIDS. They could cure cancer. They could make the, uh, uh, the rocket ship to Mars possible. They, I mean, think about what they could do. And then I thought about this. Unless they live in a primitive, primitive tribe along the Amazon, and they don't have the opportunities, they don't have the education, they don't have anything, they don't even know what they could do as opposed to the smartest person in the world living here, or people like us who are not the smartest person in the world living here. Who determines that? God does, doesn't he? And you've been given a great gift to live in this land, to live in, this free, in the freedom that we have here, to live in and with the resources and the capability that you have. And even though you're not living up to all of it, what a great blessing it is. Who determines that? You didn't, I didn't. That was just the Lord. And the psalmist is saying, don't wait until someday to bless the Lord. You've got an awful lot, awful lot that uh, you have right now. So don't, uh, don't just wait. And that brings us to the last thing. What about the Lord's delight? What is it that he says delights him? And the psalmist is kind of taking up on all of this. Well, if I'm not going to wait for someday, I better do it now. Now is a good time to bless the Lord. Now is a good time to praise the Lord. Someday may never come. Tomorrow may never come. And you know, we tend to wait till times are better or more favorable to bless the Lord. I mean, if I lived in... Afghanistan right now, ruled by the Taliban, I just might be tempted to say, hey, this isn't a good time. Not a good time. Now, maybe if the Taliban's overthrown and, the, and Afghanistan becomes free again, I'll do it then, right? We can say the same thing here. It's not fashionable to be a Christian anymore in our nation, in this post-Christian America. And they can find all kinds of reasons, all kinds of reasons 
to persecute you, to cancel you, to shut you down. I mean, we see that kind of stuff every day, every day. What if in the next few years it gets real? And what if it comes to the place to where if you believe the Bible, you don't get hired? If you are a committed church-going Christian, you, know, you don't get the job. You don't get the promotion. You don't get to live in this neighborhood. I mean, those kind of things could happen, couldn't they? So what are we going to do? We bless the Lord today. We don't wait for a better time because that better time may not come. The more favorable circumstances. Well, I'm just going to wait. Life has been so hectic with COVID and with all of the things going on in our family. I just can't wait for it to settle down. Well, what are you going to do if it never does? The Lord will still deserve your praise. And He'll still delight in your praise. And that's one of the great things that we find as we look through the Bible is these people like Paul and Silas who were in a prison cell unjustly and uh, the Roman law had been violated concerning them. And yet what are they doing at midnight? They're singing praise to the Lord. They're hurting, they're cramped, their muscles are all stretched out. They're in a bad situation. And yet they start singing songs to the Lord and the other people hear them. You think they had any chances to witness? Well, we know that they did because Acts 16 says there was an earthquake. The jailer thought that all the prisoners were going to be gone. And Roman law said that if you were guarding the prisoners and you let them go, you took their punishment. He was ready to kill himself. And Paul said, do yourself no harm. And the jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, they, he saw the power in their life. It wasn't just the earthquake. It was the way that they lived. It was their attitude. It was their praise to the Lord. And they didn't wait till a more favorable time, an easier time, a time when it wouldn't be something that, uh, you know, they could be canceled for or something like that. He did it at the most inopportune time, which is what we are supposed to do as well. The Lord delights in our praise. We don't wait until we get to church to bless the Lord. Some people say, well, I want to worship. You ought to be worshiping every day. Well, I want to sing praises. You ought to be doing that every day. I want to give thanks. Well, you're supposed to give thanks in all situations. Uh, I want to get together and be with people where I can rejoice. You're supposed to rejoice in the Lord always. Think about all those commands that we know. And if we don't do them until we come to church, then we are deficient in everything that we do. So we do it today. And we do it. Notice the psalmist said. We're going to do it today. And how long? Forever. Now there's your heavenly reference. Humans don't live forever. And they die here on earth. And on earth they go silent. But forever in heaven. They praise the Lord. And so that happens after we become silent on earth William Cowper wrote a song that you know and you probably know it very well there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains you like that song great isn't it have you noticed the line in there that says when this poor lisping stammering tongue lies silent in the grave that's what the psalmist is talking about. Silent in the grave. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. Well, I thought you were silent. On earth, but not in heaven. Absent from the body. And where? 
present with the Lord. See, there's a great day coming. And so that's what the psalmist is making reference to. This isn't soul sleep. This isn't anything like that at all. This doesn't mean you die like a dog and you're just gone. This is what we see on earth. Silent on earth, but noisy in heaven. Boy, that's going to be an amazing thing. And that's what William Cowper talked about. Charles Spurgeon said, Praise is the rehearsal of our eternal song. You ever thought of it like that? When we were singing a while ago, you're you're rehearsing for eternity. Praise is the rehearsal of our eternal song. By grace, we learn to sing, and in glory, we continue to sing. What will some of you do when you get to heaven if you go on stumbling all the way? Do not hope to get to heaven in that style. But now begin to bless the name of the Lord. You know what he was saying there? You don't like praising God now. You're not going to like heaven. In fact, he intimated there, if you don't like blessing and praising the Lord here, you're probably not going to get there. Adrian Rogers said, Why do you expect the faith that cannot get you to church on Sunday morning to get you to heaven? That's a good question. And that's what Spurgeon is saying. You look at your life, and if you don't praise the Lord here and now in every situation... Certainly you're not perfect. None of us are. My goodness, don't follow me around. But he's saying if there's no desire for that, no zeal for that, if there's nothing that motivates you to do that or corrects you when you don't do that, you're going to hate heaven. And you're probably not really going. But those of us who are born again are like William Cowper. When this Poor, lispering, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. Because one day all the limitations are going to be gone. And God will get the praise he deserves forever. So what are you doing now? Practice. Rehearse. Start doing it. Do it when you don't feel like it. Do it when it's not expected. Do it when it seems inappropriate. Just just do it and get used to singing. Get used to shouting. Get used to giving God the praise that He deserves. Why? Because He's an amazing God. And had it not been for His grace, you'd be bowing before a tree or a rock or an idol. But by the grace of God, he has given you the opportunity to know personally the one true and living God. Somebody say a hallelujah, because that's really what it's all about. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. We could never find you. We could never discover you. We could never put you in a test tube. We could never figure it all out. We would look at the stars and the planets. We would look at the rocks and the animals and the trees and the grass. We would look at the rain. We would look at the whole ecosystem. And we'd never figure it out. And yet you revealed yourself to us. 
Not only through general revelation like that, but special revelation. The Holy Spirit has given us faith to believe, has drawn us to you, and given us your perfect, infallible, inerrant, eternal, all-sufficient word and your glorious gospel in there. And it, it, it came to us, and it birthed new life in us, and you have drawn us unto yourself for your purposes and for your glory. Lord, we thank you that even though your dominion is the heavens and you're comfortable in outer space and beyond in the heaven where you dwell, and yet you came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, bore the wrath of God, and then burst out of the grave on that third day and ascended to the right hand of God the Father because your dominion is an everlasting dominion, Nebuchadnezzar said. And we thank you, Father, that you have given us this earth and we praise you for this. Be honest, we could use a little rain right now, Lord, if you would be pleased to send it to us. But at the same time, we have water to drink and air to breathe, places to live and shelter, transportation, and we have oil in the ground and we have uh, animals that provide food and crops that grow that give us food. I mean, we have it so good. Thank you for that, Lord. That wonderful gift. And I thank you, Father, for the determination that you make about our lives. I don't know how long we're going to live, but we're here now. We have this day. We have this evening to give you praise. And I pray we would think about that every day. May tomorrow morning we wake up with a note of praise on our lips because every day is a gift. May we bless your name. And then, Father, we pray that we would delight you that our praise would not just be someday. We all have a someday in heaven, but today we need to praise you. And in this time, in this situation, whether it feels right, whether it seems right, whether it's acceptable or not, doesn't matter. We want to give you the praise that you deserve. So thank you for this psalm. Thank you for what this psalmist has. He poured his soul into this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it tells us a lot about us, and it tells us a lot about you. And it's only by you that we can become what we are. And we thank you for that. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.